Thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, we're here to discuss cybersecurity, IoT, uh, together with Hub Security's very own North American VP, Gaurav uh, Sharma, alongside a number of other cybersecurity industry experts and uh, including Shamik Basu, uh, Ludovico Fassati, Joel Dart, and Luke Perard. So thank you all for being here today. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Um, we're going to start our event with a brief introduction from Guarav on cybersecurity IoT, and then our panelists will each get a chance to briefly introduce themselves. Uh, afterwards, we'll get into a, a bit of a deeper discussion on everything related to IoT uh, for telecommunications, including its challenges and solutions. And as usual, we'll leave about 30 minutes at the end for a short Q&A. So if you have any questions throughout the discussion, feel free to drop them in the Q&A section below and we'll get to them later on. Now, we have an impressive lineup, uh, lineup excuse me, of panelists tonight, and I'm excited to have them each introduce themselves to you. Um, but first, we'll begin with a few short words from Guarav, um, the North American VP of Hub Security, before we hand off the mic for introductions. So, Guarav, uh, take it away. Thank you, Sterny. Um, as uh, Sterny introduced me, I am uh, representing Hub Security. My name is Gaurav Sharma. I'm uh, out of Los Angeles, uh, California in the United States, but we have participants from all over the world. So this is fascinating. Um, I think this is gonna be a fascinating discussion. Before we kick it off, just to introduce who Hub Security is, we are a cybersecurity company that focuses on a discipline called confidential computing. And this security paradigm is very applicable to the topic that we're gonna to discuss today. Uh, the topic is broader than cybersecurity. We are, we are gonna talk about IoT and we have experts in the field uh, uh, in, in IoT that are gonna demystify some of the concepts around it. And uh, my goal here is to just provide some commentary uh, around cybersecurity in terms of what we think. Um, but before we kick it off, we uh, usually get people from various different disciplines on these webinars. So I thought it would be a good uh, idea to just set some context in terms of what IoT, IoT connectivity and related disciplines are about and you know, how we, we can uh, proceed the conversation for this webinar. Uh, so IoT, IoT connectivity, um, edge computing and a lot of other disciplines, we're gonna throw a lot of terms in there like 5G, Mac, VNF, but all these technologies are actually shifting um, and, and creating massive opportunities for a lot of different industries. And there is a, is a massive digital transformation happening because of these, these uh, latest uh, technologies. Um, so you think about use cases such as smart cities, you think about autonomous driving, precision farming, precision medicine, um, smart factories, and you can imagine all, all those use cases. Uh, and these technologies are helping um, transform those industries. And um, by virtue of this, you're gonna see massive growth continue in the field of IoT and, and related technologies. Um, just to give you an estimate, according to estimates, by 2030, we are supposed to see excess of 25 billion IoT devices. And in terms of investment, um, in next two years, we're gonna see more than $250 billion investment in IoT, edge computing, and all these different technologies. Um, if you look at it from a data perspective, um, massive amount of data is gonna be generated uh, by virtue of these technologies. Right now, uh, we are seeing only 10% of the total data being generated outside of corporate boundaries in, uh, in, in these use cases, but the data uh, generation is gonna increase up to 75%. So 
So what that means is that up to 75% of data in the next couple of years is going to be uh, outside of the traditional uh, enterprise boundaries. So you can imagine the data, the intelligence, these, these things are becoming competitive advantages. And that is why this is such an important topic. So as Tony mentioned, we have a very exciting panel of distinguished experts with us today who will help us demystify some of these concepts and help us bring us together. So I hope you enjoy this webinar and with that, Stroni, I'll send it back to you. Thank you, Gaurav. Uh, and I'm really glad to, that you could join us and be here with us today. Um, we've already had the pleasure of uh, hosting a few webinars together, so I'm looking forward to this one. Um, so yeah, just to start, I'd like to take a few minutes to do a quick introduction round. So why don't we start with Shamik? Uh, would you mind giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself and uh, your field of expertise? What are you bringing to the uh, discussion on the panel today? Yeah, Shirni, thank you. And thank you, Gaurav, for such a great introduction. You know, that's very reflective of the industry we're in right now and the challenges we're facing. Um, so by way of introduction, Shamik Basu, I head up the IoT product portfolio with the Verizon's business group. Um, and as part of that, you know, we have responsibility uh, to understand customer needs, productize and commercialize almost every layer of the stack, all the way from connectivity to devices, to the hyperscaler relationships, as well as uh, select verticals that we have solutions in, such as automotive, such as utilities. So I have a team that's, uh, you know, aligned with customers that are working with customers every day, trying to uncover their needs and uh, converting them to solutions. And I'm extremely excited that, uh, you know, we're gonna speak to uh, folks from all over the world. So greetings again, looking forward to a very engaging discussion and, uh, and, and the Q and A as well. Yeah, awesome. Shamik, it's great that you could be here uh, with us. Thank you for joining. Um, I don't know, if, do we have Ludovico with us yet? Uh, do I get a chance to yeah, join? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I'm having some technical issues with <laughs> joining with my laptop on the security system at, at Vodafone. But let me introduce myself. So first, again, thank you all for, for having me. I'll be on camera as soon as I fix this. Uh, as a matter of introduction, uh, I'm Ludovico Fassati, and I lead the IoT team for the Americas at Vodafone. Uh, we, first of all, I'm very excited to be here. I uh, saw, so, and the panel looks looks great. Uh, also, good to see some some old friends uh, on it. Uh, having said that, we are very eager uh, to to have the discussion. We are really investing a lot in IoT, as I think most of the people here probably know. We've been again elected the leader uh, by Gartner for eight years in a row. Uh, and uh, I think we're doing a lot of, of investment and uh, we have a lot of focus as Vodafone on IoT. Uh, and uh, look, in the US, we have quite a small team taking care of mostly of the, the large corporate globally, uh, but we're now expanding also into other, into other areas and I'm very happy to be here. That's it. I'll get my camera on as soon as I can. Sorry. Yeah, no stress. Um, great, thank you, Ludo. Uh, wonderful that you could join us. Uh, next, Joel Dart. Thank you. Looking also very excited to learn from uh, panelists as well as uh, hear some engaging uh, questions. Looking forward to that. Um, I've been a uh, senior manager at Bell on the IoT team there. Over 17 years of IT experience in terms of at Bell, uh, working with uh, LTEM 
LTE and 5G connectivity. I think LTEM is also called CAD-M1 in a lot of places. Um, in terms of uh, connectivity and management platforms, some of the other things that uh, my team and I are involved in would be uh, management platforms, professional services, certification of devices on the Bell network, uh, IoT solutions, IoT hardware. Uh, some of the other things from a vertical perspective would be things such as uh, asset track and fleet management, uh, security, water, uh, clean water uh, was an interesting one we're working on, and also energy management. Uh, have uh, been certified with uh, Cisco and Ericsson from an IoT perspective, and I think um, Ericsson specifically is one that not a lot of, uh, of carriers have. So uh, once again, very interested to and excited to hear what uh, my fellow panelists' uh, outlook is on the IoT industry and also to, uh, to hear more from uh, uh, some of the, uh, the, the guests at this uh, event. Great, thank you, Joel. Uh, and uh, thank you to you as well for joining us. Uh, last but not least, we have Luke Perard. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me today. And uh, yeah, good morning, good afternoon to, to everyone. So I'm, uh, I'm indeed, I'm Luke Perard. So I, uh, I work for, for UTELSAT for actually a telco, but a very specific one, a satellite telco. Uh, so essentially, we are in the business of delivering uh, various telecommunication services over satellite. Uh, we are not as known as my uh, esteemed panelist uh, friends here. Uh, we are a smaller company, but uh, just to give you some background of Utelsat, it's a French headquartered company. We are, uh, we've been around, we've been in business for over 40 years. Uh, we, are, we do 1.4 billion uh, dollar of revenue with 1,200 people spread across the world. And our tr traditional business has been broadcasting of videos and content. Uh, but we are actually developing, uh, let's say, a connectivity business uh, that is about connecting people and businesses and things, as a matter of fact. And I'm indeed at uh, Utelsat responsible for this business, uh, let's say the IoT business as a senior vice, vice president. So, um, yeah, well, very, very happy to, to be here today and uh, participate in this webinar and give, uh, let's say, a different perspective on IoT and on the challenges uh, that, that IoT is facing on the connectivity side that actually satellite could address. Great, thank you, Luke, and uh, glad that you can be here. So we're gonna start off with our discussion for today and um, we're gonna divide today's uh, discussion into three topics. So we're gonna start the more general overview or an introduction to tel uh, IoT for telcos, excuse me. Um, and then we'll go a bit into uh, some of the um, challenges and risks surrounding adoption of uh, IoT. And um, lastly, we'll talk more about the approaches and solutions that uh, some of our panelists maybe are using or um, that they've been seeing uh, being leveraged within the market. So, um, I want to start off today's discussion uh, with a bit of an open question. So this is uh, for any of the panelists to, to jump in and respond to. Um, give us just an idea of what is the stage of IoT and hybrid IoT's market and technology? So where are we now? Um, and later on, we'll get to maybe where we're heading. Yeah, well, I can, uh, I can start on this one. Uh, yes, we've... Uh, 
let's say in IoT, for my perspective, it's uh, really turning into, uh, let's say, somehow a, a mature market or let's say a maturing market. Uh, they've been, uh, let's say, it's been around for quite a number of years. It was known as a machine to machine previously. So it's, uh, it, it was very much focused on technologies and let's say identifying the best technologies to do new things and connecting assets to optimize processes, reduce costs, but also to generate new, new opportunities, new business or, or opportunities. But we see that the technologies are getting together with uh, a lot of technical progress on various aspects of technologies, of communications, of uh, let's say devices, hardware, embedded technologies, etc., and of course on the on the cloud, uh, the cloud aspect and uh, the application. So it is really coming together, and I'm sure my my fellow panelists will uh, will confirm that because let's say they operate in the in the terrestrial or, or let's say cellular connectivity business that is really uh, widely used in, uh, and, and let's say, uh, let's say the, the, the pace of adoption of those technologies is, is really in, increasing. So from my perspective, the state of IoT is, uh, it's, uh, let's say it's, it's on this fast track of, of, uh, of high growth. That's, that's where we are today. And indeed, uh, let's say you mentioned the, the word hybrid IoT. That's what, uh, let's say that's the perspective I bring to the table because there are still some challenges to address and, and let's say connectivity communication is one of them, uh, especially because when you talk about IoT, industrial IoT, you have assets spread out everywhere that, that well, for, for which it is, somehow a challenge to, to actually connect because of the lack of connectivity, lack of networks accessibility at the, at the right price points to make the business case fly. So that's where satellite is addressing this, uh, let's say this new challenge that is, uh, that is brought up. And, uh, and indeed I can, uh, I will elaborate probably uh, a bit later how, how it is possible via, via satellite to extend those, uh, those cellular networks uh, in order to go and 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 open up and actually and unlock some huge market opportunity in the massive IoT business, I would say that, and I would second that. And and you talked about the the state of IoT, and I'd actually say that the state of IoT is is being reimagined right now, because you know originally IoT was all about exactly what I think Luke you said in the beginning, which is it was machine to machine, it was connecting a machine to another machine. What that's turned into is connecting little data to big data, as we say it. And the reason you connect little data to big data is because there's hundreds and tens of millions of endpoints, like Gaurav said in the beginning. But those endpoints and the data is meaningless unless you actually connect it to a cloud environment, to the analytics platform, and help driving outcomes for the customers. And I think that realization is you know, coming in very, very quickly in a very, very accelerated fashion. Customers are now finding out that, you know, it's not just a matter of connecting these devices, but how they layer on, you know, other services on top of that, such as the cloud environment, such as the solutions that sit on top of it. So IoT has just gone from, you know, what traditionally has been machine to machine to an entire ecosystem, uh, all that begins with the sensor and ends with the solution and, and is sold as a managed service, right? Um, and, and I think the hybrid IoT element is important because as you start to kind of look at, you know, coverage augmentation for how your sensors have to be connected at all times, you know, the combination of cellular and satellite kind of brings a very interesting perspective as to how you can keep the devices up and alive for the longest time. Definitely. Thank you, Shanik and Luke. Um, does anyone want to add anything to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, lots of great points that have been made already. Um, I would just like to add that, yeah, in terms of the from the maturing uh, part that Luke had mentioned um, and Shamika had, had talked about too as well, I would say certain verticals I'm seeing are are, re are maturing or really mature, and other ones are 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 going to be um, uh, have a lot of potential for more growth in the future. And that's why you see a lot of startups coming up because they see some potential for new technologies uh, to emerge. Whereas in certain industries, uh, the, you know, things like fleet management, asset tracking, there's already a lot of established uh, vendors out there. And I think also too, you're starting to see, uh, you know, from, uh, from some of the traditional uh, vendors, whether it be, uh, you know, HP, Cisco, they've been doing this for a while, but there was that uh, where now, uh, before the things were being done, as Luke had said, hey, machine to machine's been around for a while, uh, but now everyone's calling it IoT and a lot of other vendors are jumping on the bandwagon. And I think it's something where a lot of people are going to get more and more involved and IoT is going to be a big part of their uh, current and future uh, business. I would like to add one thing. If that's, I think, uh, yeah, everyone mentioned very good points. Let me add a little thing. I think we we run a report every year called Spotlight, uh, where we interview roughly like two thousand companies out there and collect all of the information. I think the only thing I'd like to add is the maturity of the connectivity business carries also a lot of responsibility lately. I think more and more we have entire companies, entire cities, entire hospitals relying on IoT connectivity, IoT solutions. So I think we also now have a bigger burden in the past. If your TomTom didn't work or your Kindle didn't work, it was okay-ish. Now we have medical equipment, autonomous cars. So I think it carries a lot of responsibility too. So I just wanted to add that point. Definitely very important. Thank you, Ludo. And Luke, start us off. What is hybrid IoT? And what are some examples maybe that you can give us of use cases uh, which will benefit most from hybrid IoT connectivity? Yes, yes, uh, indeed. I hybrid IoT is a bit of a new term that uh, you see coming, uh, coming around, but at the end of the day, it's a realization that, I mean, everyone would agree that there is no one, uh, one size fits all in IoT. So you, you need to connect assets. Some, are, some, some of those assets are in cities, some are underground, some are indoor, uh, but some other assets are also in rural area, in desertic area. Uh, some are even at seas. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you want to be able to uh, connect those assets, not only those that are traveling across various areas, uh, like mobile, mobile assets, but also fixed assets that are really spread out across the entire territory. Think about in the utility space, you want to monitor the status of utility poles, as an example. Uh, make sure that the pole is still standing, or if it starts to lean on one side, you want to, to, be, to be aware of this and actually take preventive actions uh, before it's too late and you, you have, a, let's say, you have a bigger area uh, disconnected sometimes with, uh, let's say, very big consequences. Imagine there is an hospital behind that, uh, that, uh, that electric line, as an example. So here, uh, let's say the terrestrial uh, networks have, have been actually mostly used uh, today because they provide, uh, let's say, a decent ubiquity, but they, uh, ubiquity of coverage. But this has been 
let's say, deployed by all the telcos in urban areas, covering uh, mostly around cities and extended uh, uh, urban areas, I would say. And uh, outside of that, and especially in very vast territories uh, like the US, but many other countries in the world, it is challenging, it is challenging to get connectivity. So what enterprise are looking to do in order to connect those uh, those assets that are really spread out everywhere or travel really everywhere is to have this mix of uh, technologies and connectivity options that really keep track and that enables you to connect assets no matter where they are. And of course, you need to do that in a way that is, uh, let's say, cost effective. And uh, well, and so far, uh, let's say using satellite has been quite challenging because of the high cost and high complexity. So hybrid IoT is coming together because new technologies in the satellite space, in the space space sector, uh, are, are, let's say, are, are coming around and are really delivering on, uh, let's say, bringing and seamlessly integrating satellite into those terrestrial networks, not competing with them, but more extending them uh, to, to actually give, let's say, the value that enterprises want is to connect their assets. They don't really care whether they use satellite or terrestrial. At the end of the day, they need the data, they need their assets connected in order to get the data and then do something with that data, as uh, Shamik said earlier. How is IoT? Uh integrating right now with new technologies such as MEC, MPN, uh, AI. I can, I can take that one, Shani. So, um, you know, as, as we start looking at IoT evolving to a much more data-centric and, and like I said, the outcome-centric play, um, the concept of just a sensor being connected over a network, be it, you know, a cellular or satellite or a hybrid network, I mean, that's evolving very quickly. And if you start to look at use cases such as a factory floor, if you start to look at use cases such as, you know, uh, security and quarantining, uh, object recognition, you know, these are use cases that traditionally had a reasonably high price piece of equipment, either, you know, in the form of a camera that had to be deployed. So, you know, because of that, you know, things could scale to the extent that they, that they needed to. Fast forward now, where you could actually have through uh, the operator's own deployment, the ability to kind of run a lot of those very complex and compute intensive workloads on something like a mobile edge compute. So first of all, you know, just for, for the, panel, the, the, the audience's benefit here, uh, Mac multi-axis edge compute kind of enables deployment of, uh, you know, edge capabilities, compute capabilities within the carrier's network. And that way, when a customer has a compute intensive service that's actually otherwise having to run on the device or in the cloud. Now you've got a model in which you can actually run that compute intensive service very, very close to the device itself and get the benefits of lower latency. So, so just setting context of what that is. So coming back to the use cases again. So when you start to think about, you know, some security centric use cases, uh, <clears throat> such as um, uh, license plate recognition. So you've got an airport environment, you've got cameras that you want to, you know, offload some of that compute to the edge. Uh, from a security perspective, you want to have that recognition. You want to have that use case and the compute performed very, very close. And you don't want that round trip uh, all the way back to the cloud. Uh, if you start to think about factory automation and, uh, you know, anomaly detection on the factory floor, for example. Yeah, you know, there's basically cameras that are, that are purpose-built products. And you now have the ability to utilize a private network within your premise, you know, run an edge, you know, within the premise itself and run that use case very, very quickly through a relatively lower cost piece of equipment. 
So think about the transformation already occurring where you know, everything was either device centric or far cloud centric. Now you've got a model where the IoT use case can run you know, between the two and provide that low level of latency. Uh, and, you, and, you, and you fast forward that again, right? When you start to think about the economy that's being opened up with things like autonomous vehicles, uh, you know, there is a greater need right now for a lot of that processing to happen very, very close to the vehicle itself, as opposed to having like really large round trips. When you start thinking about some of these safety use cases, that's another one where, you know, IOT or the sensor data coming from the car could be processed very close to the car on an edge facility and then being delivered as an outcome to the car, you know, for the driver and keeping them safe. So these are just the use cases where I'd say, uh, you know, there's interoperability, you know, coming from the endpoint, you know, being processed on the edge, and then, you know, opportunistically being, uh, you know, uh, transferred to either the, the customer's own cloud or to a different cloud environment. And I think there's a AI connotation, which is critical here too, because um, the model in which we believe the customer is able to scale in this is that, you know, high compute activity, such as development of AI models and things like that will happen on hyperscaler clouds, such as you know the, the ones that most customers are used to working with. But think about an evolution of that concept where you know, you're investing the time building an AI sort of model in a cloud and then deploying that model widely onto the edge. So the, the model executes very, very close to where the endpoint is, which is technically where it needs to. So, think, so, so it kind of brings multiple things together. You've got a premise-based private network that's running workloads on the edge and then working very, very closely with a hyperscaler environment, which is where the customer's own sort of business logic and the data resides, uh, and that they can use for uh, an AI-based model. So hopefully that kind of brings yeah, the, the, the picture together. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good introduction. Uh, and now that we have a bit of an introduction to uh, not only IoT, but uh, how it applies to telco, Ludovico, why don't you give us a short description of what the use of IoT looks like uh, over at Vodafone, um, as well as maybe the size of the business opportunities. This is something that you can share. Yeah, so first of all, I'd like to congratulate Shami. It was a perfect summary of, of taking the use cases and how to how to integrate Mac and IoT. I think you did a great job. I'll copy that in, my, in the future. Uh, no, look, for, for us, there's two ways of, of answering your question. One is what is our IoT business, so how we support customers with connectivity and, and more than that, more and more. Uh, and that is now it's, it's, a, it's a significant business for Vodafone. We shared a few numbers publicly, but it's a large organization with uh, 1,500 people, roughly 150 million connections and teams all across the globe. So that's, that's us helping customers in the IoT space, right? Now, the other part of your question is more around how do we use IoT ourselves? And um, we have a lot of examples as a telco. We are a big company like many others. So we have uh, offices and we transform most of our office into what we call, using what we call smart building solutions. So there's energy, energy monitoring, uh, occupancy, tracking and so on, access, security, all of those stuff that we do in our own office. We made a significant investment into fleet, electric vehicle fleet, but also fleet. So we, we monitor all of our cars, of our employees and delivery trucks and so on as a company. So that's another, another important one. 
um, we also have, well, we, we carved out our, our tower company, but it's still uh, owned by, by Vodafone. And we do all of the uh, cell site monitoring, uh, tower monitoring with all IoT sensors and solutions. We also use drones to fix them in certain situations. We really are a big, big user of IoT ourselves. Uh, of course, we also have a consumer IoT team we developed a few years ago that is really doing uh, IoT devices that are being sold into our stores or on our website. So we have a kid's watch, we have uh, tracking devices, and I'm sure a lot of our employees are using those to, uh, for their day-to-day -day use, right? So we really are very much immersed in IoT everywhere we go. Uh, but the more important part for me is, is what we do with our customers and how we can help them to, to do better things uh, out there. So that's us. Sure, thank you, Ludo. Uh, can I call you Ludo? Is that okay? That's fine. That's um, okay. Yeah, I saw it as your name on your uh, video, but I was not sure. Okay. Um, okay, great. Uh, my next question is for Joel. And I, I was just wondering what are maybe you can outline for us some of the key reasons uh, or the key benefits maybe uh, of using IoT over Wi-Fi connectivity. So what um, are some factors that organizations need to take into consideration when they're making these kinds of decisions? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think also I'll just expand on that because you do see certain verticals that just want to use cellular and you do also see some verticals that are hesitant to go cellular and rely on Wi-Fi. So that is something that uh, that I do come up with and, and see quite a bit. So I think one of the one of the benefits uh, would be that the cellular data is encrypted uh, by default. While uh, you know, in, in terms of on the Wi-Fi, the encryption must be enabled. Uh, another factor I would say uh, a big factor is cellular security updates are done. Uh, by uh, providers with knowledgeable cybersecurity staff, whereas uh, you know the Wi-Fi security uh, requires the owner to proactively install the uh, the updates. As a result, cellular networks are you know, generally held to a higher uh, security standard. Uh, a couple other factors would just be that cellular has uh, a higher uh, range and definitely higher coverage versus uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, you know, not just in uh, within North America, but internationally, there's a lot of uh, LTE, LTEM, CATM1, NBIOT, um, and and 5G emerging uh, that have a a, a massive uh, coverage. So those would be the main factors I would say that uh, would be the key reasons to use uh, IoT versus uh, Wi-Fi. Thanks, Joel. And um, my next question is more of an open question for the entire panel, but maybe you can help dispel some of the myths uh, for us surrounding 5G and IoT. Um, and I don't know who wants to start us off, but it's quite a long list. You know, it's a favorite uh, topic of mine. Why don't I take that? Uh, so, you know, you asked about the myth. Um, I mean, we talked to a lot of customers. We encountered these myths. Uh, and I call them myths only because I think Generally, the industry has kind of gone about and answered them. And I think there's a, a very fast pace of realization that customers actually need it. Uh, the, the few things that we've heard is, you know, the first question is, do I really need 5G? You know, the most common one. And, uh, you know, the, the answer is 5G is just an evolution. 
you know, and I, I wouldn't even call it an evolution. It's almost a quantum leap in terms of where you were with 4G technology going to 5G. So absolutely, you know, you need it for any future use cases that you want to operationalize. Second, I get is like, you know, I've got the sensor, I've got this device. Will it support 5G, right? Is it 5G ready? Uh, and and can, I, can, this, can the sensor device, you know, use 5G technology? What do I have to do? Um, and then, you know, Luke, I think you covered it and Ludo, you said it as well, uh, very well uh, that, you know, as customers look at broadening their operations, they can be centered around, you know, one operator. So now they're asking questions about if you as an operator support 5G, do operators worldwide support 5G and how expensive can I be with my, with my deployment? So what level of operator interop do we have with, uh, with 5G? And then when we get, uh, you know, quite frequently is that this is going to cost me a lot of money. Is it going to cost me to take this leap? And, and what does it do from a, a operational efficiency, the financial efficiency that, that IoT does seek to reduce for them? So these are the four we generally get. And you know, generally our answer to that is, yes, you need 5G because it powers you know, every use case and, and the digital transformation that you're looking to do uh, within your environments. Um, will my device support it? I mean, if you think about uh, what we're doing as Verizon is that we've put uh, strategic relationships in place with leading device makers where we're actually going out and uh, certifying modules to be on our uh, the recently announced 5G ultra wideband network, uh, which is, you know, we've gone out and deployed nationwide. Uh, when we kind of start that ecosystem with these levels of certification, all of a sudden you see this device ecosystem can really open up. So the answer is uh, surely there is a long lineup of devices that uh, where you realize a lot of these 5G use cases like the video, like the enhanced mobile broadband. Uh, and with 5G, you know, going back to, do I need it? You get some very, very disruptive features like things like slicing, where you can actually isolate networks and perform like mission critical functions uh, through capabilities that are dedicated to you as a customer. Uh, and then uh, cross operator, you know, uh, as Verizon and, and, and Ludo yourselves, I mean, you guys participate uh, with us in things like 5G future forums. Uh, we're trying to establish a common framework whereby, you know, multiple operators worldwide, not only launch 5G, but we're actually working through a common framework whereby if a customer uh, wants to deploy applications on the edge, they're not having to do this in a very fractured fashion across operators, there's commonality where you build once and, and run it across multiple operators as well. So, um, you know, it's getting easier and easier uh, uh, to operationalize. Uh, are there scenarios where you don't need 5G? Absolutely, yes. Like, for example, in the, in the case of massive IoT uh, today, uh, you know, for many use cases, you can do just fine through the use of narrowband and, and CADM technologies. But, but very quickly, these guys are bridging into you know, what we call the 5G cores and uh, interoperating forward with uh, 5G technology. Um, sensor technologies, you probably don't need 5G day one. It's good to kind of plan for the future. High throughput technologies, you're best being on 5G because you get to take advantage of all the uh, capabilities that uh, the high throughput network affords. Uh, Shamik, that was, that was really great. Thank you. I think you hit the nail on the head already with a few um, a few myths that we have. Does anyone else want to add anything? Yes, yes, uh, that's a, yes. I, I, I would like to add indeed that 
I mean, it's all about the use case at the end of the day. There is uh, not, again, not a one size fits all uh, for for certain applications. You don't you don't you don't need five G. So, uh, but for others, depending on latency and depending on on data throughput, uh, depending on the, the the volume of data you want to send, you you would definitely need five G. I mean, and, and I, if I go on the other end of the spectrum. Well, there are those NB-IoT networks. There are some satellites also that are extending those, uh, those IoT networks. And here we're talking about uh, you know, uh, enabling assets to send a few bytes of data sometimes, because this has value. It has little value. It has to be very low cost at the end of the day, but this has value. And for that, you don't need, you don't need 5G, especially because it carries uh, somehow a, a higher price tag. So for all those, uh, those use cases where you just, you, you just want to send a few bytes just to have an asset report is uh, is temperature what is the uh, you know the level of uh, of a fluid of uh, of a gas in a tank etc you don't need high speed you don't need you, you don't need to send large volume of data and i would even say you don't need real time either uh, sometimes you can really live with getting the data in uh, in, a, in a few hours uh, because it's not that important. Maybe you're collecting data for regulation purposes just to make sure that you have that data. And if you get that a few hours later, that's okay as well. Um, at the end of the day, it's a matter of use case and of course matching the the let's say the right uh, the, the the use case with the right uh, requirements in terms of technologies and price points. Yeah, I think a lot. Uh, we're having a discussion in the chat, and um, you know, I see some nodding heads. Um, anything to add to that? If not, we'll move on to our next question. All right. Well, Gaurav, uh, let's turn to you. Uh, cybersecurity plays a large role in the deployment of um, IoT networks. So, what? part does cybersecurity play in the rise of IoT adoption and uh, more specifically within telecom? No, that's, that's actually a good question. Um, you know, as Shamik was men mentioning, you know, a lot of um, use cases are now uh, moving outside of the traditional corporate boundaries and, and basically running critical workloads um, like AI and data processing at the edge at the MEC tier and so on and so forth. So, um, two out of three IT organizations are sp still very skeptical of letting their data go out um, and getting processed at the, at the edge. And that is where I think cybersecurity can help. Um, but the challenge really is that security usually was, um, traditional security has been extremely hard, time consuming and expensive uh, to be deployed. So from a security perspective, what security can help with is actually simplifying it and, and uh, you know, make it easy for cybersecurity to be baked in into the core offering. And that's where I think the, the space that we focus on, confidential computing can come into the picture. One of the other things that uh, Luda was talking about is also very important is the reliability aspect. If you're moving critical workloads to the uh, outside of traditional corporate boundaries uh, at the edge, uh, using IoT devices and so forth, it becomes very important for us to look at how we extend the corporate infrastructure out there and then how do we connect um, and collect the little data, as Shamik was saying, and you know, inform the big data in a secure fashion. And last but not the least is there are going to be multiple ecosystem players um, in, in, in this network. Uh, we have the communication providers, we have the hyperscalers, we have 
system integrators, vendors, hardware and software vendors like us. And we all need to exchange and talk to each other in a secure and reliable manner. So that's where security can help from an IoT perspective. Thanks. And we'll get more into the challenges uh, and risks later on. Um, uh, but thank you, Gaurav, for that, uh, for that great introduction to the topic. Um, Luke, uh, there seems to be a number of startups which are trying to offer satellite IoT connectivity services. Uh, maybe you wouldn't mind giving us a bit of background on the challenges associated with the use of satellite IoT and a follow-up maybe you can um, also tell us a bit more about uh, Utelsat's approach to this. Yes, sure. Uh, indeed, as I said earlier, there are some uh, new space-based technologies that are really, uh, let's say, changing the paradigm in satellite communications and, and making it much more affordable and much more simple than it used to be. Because satellite is not new at the end of the day. It's been around for many, many years. But it was really reserved to, uh, a, let's say, a very small number of use cases who could afford to address the complexity and pay the high price. Uh, so a lot of uh, indeed uh, companies, startups that have uh, that can easily raise funding these days and age uh, are are indeed let's say trying to to benefit from those initiatives to 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 come up with new technologies for for satellites that's really uh, that's really focused on uh, on on IoT, uh, which is about delivering small amount of data at a very low price point in a, in a simple way. But we see many of those guys that they are developing great technologies, but the fact is that it is still living in their own satellite world, satellite ecosystem with proprietary technologies uh, that are solely reserved for satellite communication, so for assets that are outside the boundaries of uh, other networks. If, uh, it, 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 let's say, if you want to make it hybrid, it's going to take a heavy toll on you as a device maker, as a solution builder, to integrate multiple technologies, the cellular ones like from, from Ludo, from uh, Shamik, from Joel, and the satellite one from those satellite startups. So that's why at Utelsat, we are taking the approach of saying, well, the existing, let's say, IoT networking technologies of today are great. Uh, whether it's LPWA technology or high, uh, let's say, broadband type of technology. Let's just go and address their challenge, which is coverage, but let's, let's not reinvent the wheel. And that's what we are doing at Utelsat. We are really working with the existing technologies, uh, starting with LoRa, LoRa One, uh, but of course, going down the line when the timing is right, when standardization has taken place, we will certainly do NDIoT, CATM as well. The goal is really to extend those networks uh, so that objects that use those technologies can seamlessly, I would say, roam between the terrestrial network, like in cities and urban areas, and uh, they can use the satellite networks when they are deployed or when they travel outside in rural areas or at seas, as an example. So this hybridity uh, using the same existing technologies and satellite, let's say, realizing that they need to do, uh, let's say, they need to, to work with the technology that is used in 90, 95% of the world today, which is the terrestrial technologies. That's that's really the, the approach, and I think the, let's say the, the let's say what will convince, what will make uh, enterprises adopt satellite much more than it has been today. Um, Shamik, how should telcos, uh, telco operators, excuse me, be thinking about IoT differently beyond traditional use cases? So, are there any opportunities beyond um, network layering? 
Oh, most definitely. I think, you know, I mentioned before that on a broad basis, I think Telco should look at IoT from the purview of the solution more and more, right? If you think about some key value pools that are opening up, at least in the US market, there is some huge opportunities around providing solutions to automakers all the way from just connectivity to lifecycle management. There is an extensive program funded by the recent infrastructure bill around grid modernization, um, you know, for when utility companies are actually going to move to, you know, a completely different technology model. Uh, so start to think about those solutions and uh, especially in utilities, mm -hmm. we have a very uh, deep role in, like we have a dedicated practice in utilities today. Uh, start to think about end-to-end -end asset visibility, right? It's not just about connecting. To Luke's earlier point, that asset might be connecting over terrestrial network, over satellite networks, uh, and at some in some scenarios not be connected at all, or be connected using a local area network, you know, within the customer's prem. Ultimately, what the, the customer needs to solve, and this is basically where the telcos also have to step in beyond uh, their traditional roles, is to actually support, for example, uh, an end-to-end -end asset visibility and a solution that, that takes it all the way from uh, you know, production to consumption. Uh, so I think these are just examples of, of how uh, the original purview of us as mobile network operators had been, how do we provide very seamless turnkey connectivity to these sensors? I think that's quickly evolving. How do we start thinking more solutions and how do we think more outcomes for customers? Because the discussion is very quickly shifting in that, in, in, in that direction. And then to Gaurav's earlier point, the moment data leaves your premise, the data is vulnerable. And how do we make security a core part of that uh, uh, of that framework. Uh, so we have to kind of build a culture whereby when you're building devices for IoT, day one, you know, security isn't an afterthought. It needs to happen day one as you're actually uh, beginning your deployment. So I, I think the solutioning side is is critical here because, and, and that helps us kind of get beyond the network. And while we're thinking network as a service, uh, it's also layering on a lot of these outcome-driven services. No, definitely. Um, we're reaching, uh, we're going to soon reach our uh, 60 minute uh, uh, line in uh, our discussion. And I wanted to move on to our next topic, which is uh, about challenges and risks. Uh, and just an open question for the panelists right now. Um, we talked a bit about uh, the potential of 5G and IoT. We also covered a little bit uh, on the surface level of the challenges and that come with it um, in its deployment. Maybe we uh, can go a bit more into detail um, if you have any specific uh, challenges or risks you want to uh, shed some more light on, um, now's the chance. Yeah, you're asking for challenges and risk on 5G deployment, is that, what, what is the question again? Yeah, yeah, Ludo, do you want to maybe uh, start us off uh, talking a bit well, more think, about I the risks and challenges? Yeah, look, I think, some of them were mentioned before, right? I think a key one is probably going to be uh, coverage in the rural areas. So that's going to be a bit of a challenge for, for 5G. I think another big one would be countries that are not there yet. So some countries would not have access to 5G for, for a few years as the cost of deploying is high and maybe there's no value for operator to deploy. 
And with all the technology that 5G enables though, those countries would suffer as that infrastructure it doesn't allow companies to serve or develop those tech, those new products to, to 5G enabled product. Uh, another one I think is going to be create the ecosystem. We see a big boost in that. A lot of uh, new product coming out that are 5G enabled, but Shamik mentioned before, of course, devices need to be 5G enabled. So all of operators now are working together to try to standardize and, and make sure that every 5G device would work in every region, in every country, on every network. So that's something important. The cost is, in my view, the biggest challenge today. Uh, today, 5G module is pretty expensive. 5G connectivity is expensive. So it drains a lot of batteries. So you, get, you need something either battery plugged or uh, so yeah, electricity plugged or with big batteries. So there's a lot of challenges still. Uh, but look, we've, we've seen that also in the past, right? When we launched 4G, when we launched 3G, we always kind of do the best we can as I think an industry to launch the best, best technology out there. And then suddenly a ton of companies come up with amazing things, right? Uh, no one was thinking about we would be streaming video all day on a phone when we launched 4G as operators, right? So we did the investment and then suddenly that enabled for all the social networking to come out, all of the YouTube to come out, all the streaming to come out. And 5G, I expect that to be very similar. We are doing investment. I think it is an amazing technology that opens a ton of doors in terms of latency, amount of data that can be sent, security, network slicing, all of the things that have been mentioned today. And then I think it's almost like a call for innovators and smart companies to come up. Where is the new Google? Where is the new Facebook? Where is Meta? Where, where are these companies that come up with great ideas? 5G would be out there. Now it's up to you to do the best of it. And autonomous driving is, in my view, the one that is the ob more obvious right now. Uh, but I'm sure there are going to be a ton of new use cases and, and ideas that will come up uh, the more we enable 5G. Definitely. Thank you, Dodo. Grav, what are some of, um, maybe you can elaborate for us on some of the security challenges that um, telecom operators will face uh, when it comes to operating IoT and edge environments. Um, what are some of the challenges that you find which you wouldn't find in traditional IT environments? Yeah, I mean, just adding on to what Luda was saying, and, uh, you know, the whole concept of I, uh, IoT and, and, and things moving outside the, the, the luxury of a corporate firewall or a public cloud environment uh, just changes the whole game. And it's the pace which is very different uh, when we're looking at these, these deployments. And most IoT deployments in this, uh, in, in at least in the United States, fall under the critical infrastructure. Um, aspect of it. So they have become extremely uh, ripe targets for adversaries to take advantage of. Um, so being the cybersecurity guy, we can always like, you know, fire alerts, but this is essentially what the reality is. We look at the situation at, you know, what's unfolding right now at, uh, with Ukraine is even before the traditional warfare, there is already a cybersecurity attack that has happened on the critical infrastructure. So it is uh, from, a, from an IoT and edge computing and all these critical use cases perspective. When we're bringing these critical services, as Shamik mentioned, it is very important for us to not keep security as an afterthought, 
which has been the case in, in case of traditional IT environments, and, and really bake it into the, the actual offering before we roll it out into production environments. So I think that'll be key. Now, uh, the infrastructure bill that Shamik mentioned is actually a very good start. We have you know, funding from the federal government in the United States. I think it's 1.9 billion for cybersecurity. And for broadband access, it's 65 billion, which is a pretty big number. I think we can use some of those fundings from, uh, from a perspective of rolling out security safely with these critical services. That's my two cents. Definitely. Some say it may not be enough or a little too late. Um, with that being said, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, and I also, we've had another discussion uh, on a previous webinar where we discussed the need to you know, start thinking about cybersecurity already um, at, the, at the start of the process of IoT development uh, for products and uh, how critical it is to, to get things right from, uh, from the get-go. Um, I wanted to ask everybody on the panel, how, how has COVID-19 impacted all of this? How has it impacted IoT markets and, and development and technological uh, development? Okay, let's go with the negative first, right? Supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. And talk about uh, you know, what it's doing to our industry and, and, and to many others. Uh, it is just this sudden shortage of every component. And when devices don't show up in time, they don't activate. You know, when they don't activate, they don't produce data and they don't produce analytics. And, and you know, it's just a trickle effect across the board. Uh, on the positive side of things, though, I will say that it's just uh, accelerated in many multiples. Uh, the first step that most companies are taking, uh, and they're welcoming the thought that IoT will actually help them now to drive some of that digital change that, you know, they'd probably be sitting on otherwise. So, you know, the, the need for remote work, the need to measure things remotely, and even if you look at some of the uh, uh, healthcare use cases, right? I mean, just think about uh, the need to track some of the, the, the PPE equipment that was moving across the nation, uh, the need to kind of, uh, you know, track vaccine shipments. Uh, these just became critical, uh, you know, day-to-day -day items in the news every day, uh, and, and that just required IoT. Uh, so IoT was, I would say, forefront because of COVID, but at the same time, you know, we're victims of our own success in some ways and that, you know, now all of a sudden we need, you know, many multiples of those sensors and components to come in and, and there's just this uh, sudden cringe in the, uh, in the supply chain. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's being felt across the board. Um, I wanted to, thank you, Shamik. Uh, Joel had a comment, Joel. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, oh, go ahead. I, I think just from a positive and negative, I think, uh, you know, positive, there's certain verticals that actually uh, emerged and, 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 and did a lot better because of COVID, things such as on, on the fleet management asset tracking. Uh, people are getting things delivered a lot more. Uh, people are trying to track packages. Uh, but yes, also do as well from a negative, some verticals. Uh, because things such as smart cities require a lot of uh, government type of funding, uh, governments have put that on the back burner to deal with a lot of the COVID uh, issues. Yeah, I think some of the, I think Joel and, and Shamika, right, some of the use case we hope are going to go away. So we had, uh, during COVID, we launched uh, some uh, we had customers launching, you know, like thermal cameras and face web, social distancing checking apps and devices. And we were, uh, we are the provider of uh, 
co-provide, we're helping to provide the solution to for the logistic of the Pfizer BioNTech vaccines that needs specific temperature. So all of that, we really hope that those businesses will be gone, hopefully soon. Uh, that's that's what we, uh, I think IoT helped a lot. Uh, also, remote patient monitoring, it was key, so not pushing people to go and elderly people uh, help not to go into hospitals during the peaks of, 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 uh, of the of the pandemic. I think all these helped, but we really hope those to be gone soon. Uh, on the flip side, uh, I agree with, with both Joel and Shamik. Um, it made realize to many company that having access to your product once they leave the factory and having those product connected is a key component that of your evolution. So we really see a big boost of anything starting to be connected. Uh, really, it's, it's, it's impressive. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Ludell. Um, I wanted to go into our next topic because we have about 30 minutes left to the event and I wanted to leave at least 15 for Q&A because uh, before I even asked for them, uh, we have so many in the chat, it's hard to keep up. Um, so I'm just going to jump into uh, our next, next topic, excuse me for the segment, uh, which is approaches and solutions. And I'll start off with Joel. Um, maybe you can enlighten us, what are some of the key factors that customers should be taking into consideration when evaluating a telco's IoT capabilities? Very good question. So I think, yeah, some of the, some of the things that I think the one that definitely jumps out uh, right away is the coverage capabilities. Uh, looking at the coverage map, where is it that this, uh, this telco uh, can provide uh, both LTE, uh, CAD M1, as well as 5G connectivity across that area. Uh, some of the other things too are what IoT management platforms they have in terms of also there could be some exclusivity in that area uh, for some of them. Uh, solutions as well, IoT solutions, which solutions does uh, this, this, uh, this telco have? And in a lot of other cases, there are there is exclusivity too with, with some of these uh, solutions for the key verticals. I think too, as well as what, what cable's being used in terms of the fiber versus uh, microwave cable um, and the roaming agreements internationally, specifically if you're uh, looking at a fleet management or asset tracking, uh, does this, uh, this, this telco have an agreement with or agreements with carriers in the neighboring countries? Uh, yeah, and I just think, yeah, you have to look too from the security and quality uh, what is the uh, what is the security and quality of that telco? Because your IoT solution uh, is only as good as the connectivity that is provided. Definitely, thank you, Joel. Uh, Ludo, what is the secret sauce uh, behind Vodafone's success in IoT? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if we have a secret sauce. I think everyone is. We don't have any secret anymore because we 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 had. I think we had the success started because we were the most global of the telecom operators. So it was an easy choice for someone who wanted to launch a connected car, a connected Kindle and so on to come to us. I think that was the secret at the start. The secret sauce then has been investing, leveraging on that advantage and keep on investing in it and, and trying to keep the lead. Well, we've been quite successful at it. We, we, we really take IoT seriously uh, and all of the money we make and more, we just put back into getting better. We believe there is a ton more we can do. Uh, 
when we spoke about startups before, yes, true, they are not always perfect. In, in satellite, I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I think all the startups that are coming out in IoT are actually helping us to see what we need to do to be better. Uh, you know, sometimes they're annoying. <laughs> you know, sometimes they take business from us, and of course, it, it hurts. But I think it helps us to understand which direction we got to go. Telecom operator don't have a history of fantastic service and fantastic, you know, customer uh, centricity and, and flexibility or something like that. So I think we uh, we now are learning. We learned our lessons. At least I think most of the operator learned their lesson and uh, trying to get better. So the, the secret sauce is. In my view, listen to your customers and, and try to be better. At least, you know, every day, if you do a little step better, that, that's good enough. And that, that's our secret sauce right now. Not a more a secret <laughs> that, that I shared it. Now it's not any more a secret, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, the baby is out of, how, do you, how does it, uh, my English is, uh, is uh, really poor right now since I'm speaking more German than English. Uh, but uh, the cat's out of the bag, as they say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gaurav, uh, maybe you can enlighten us. What, what more can be done or what solutions or approaches should be adopted by organizations um, looking to remove some of the cybersecurity hurdles which exist uh, for yeah. telecos? Yeah. That, that's actually a very good question. And, uh, you know, I mean, cybersecurity can, can span a lot of different things. But I think if you look at it from a data perspective, I think it'll, it'll help solve some of the challenges, right? So the critical asset that most of the times enterprises are looking at is data. And you know the, the question really is, where is the data? Where is it stored? Where is it transmitted? And how is it processed? If you look at it from that angle and put controls around that for cybersecurity, that becomes a very good starting point. Um, and I'll give you an example as, uh, as we were talking about earlier, you know, data can be processed at the edge or up in the, in the cloud. Uh, it could be stored, uh, you know, locally or remotely. So based on those decisions, based on your data tiering architectures and deployment models and all those wonderful stuff, apply controls um, accordingly, right? And, and look at uh, a lot of times what is missed is where is the compute happening? So it's very important for you to look at from a computation perspective is where the data is being processed. Um, and, and that might be a very good starting point for you to start taking it from a cybersecurity perspective. Thank you, Gaurav. And um, really quickly, because we have five minutes uh, before I want to jump into Q&A, but Shamik, how can, maybe you can tell us, how can uh, cloud hyperscalers and telcos work together uh, to create a competitive event? And we've touched on this a little bit already, but maybe you can expand on it for us. Yeah, I think we're some, we're one of the leading examples in the marketplace that uh, have done this. So we've partnered up very, very strategically with not just uh, AWS. Uh, we've partnered up with Azure as well, uh, you know, from a hyperscaler perspective. And the reason we do that is, you know, we go to where the creators and the developers are. We know that, you know, developers and enterprises want to be MNO agnostic. They want to have um, uh, hyperscale platforms that they actually go build their applications in. And if we go and publish core network capabilities in these environments, then we'll just acquire them more easily and frankly go to an environment that they're familiar with. So that they're in, you know, it's uh, more one plus one equals three uh, type of arrangement. 
uh, and it also helps us accelerate how quickly you can build some of these solutions and take them to market. So yeah, I think it's a it's a great differentiation. We've done well in our messaging as well as our partnership with uh, most of the hyperscalers. Awesome. And last but not least, Luke, um, does Utilsat uh, plan to offer hybrid IoT connectivity for other technologies um, other than LORA, um, such as NB-IoT or LTEM, uh, which are currently being offered by Vodafone, Verizon, and Bell? Yes, indeed. Well, as, as I said earlier, uh, at the end of the day, there is in the in the field of connectivity of IoT connectivity, there are multiple technologies. I I I don't think there is a a winner, or there will never be a winner, because uh, uh, some technologies are best for certain use cases, some other are are more adapted to others. Uh, so. From our perspective as a satellite operator, uh, where we are solving the coverage challenge, well, we want to extend those networks in order to make them, uh, let's say, in order to make enterprises select them to really have the, the coverage they need to connect their assets no matter where they are. So we happen to start with LoRa uh, because it is quite straightforward. It is, easy, it is much easier from a technology perspective, from access to spectrum, from standardization perspective. Uh, doing this for the, the technologies of the Vodafone and, and Verizon and Bell of the world is a bit more challenging because of technology, because of access to spectrum, uh, and because of standardization. Those are standardized by the 3GTP, and it needs some quite some time to actually uh, get to, uh, to, to, to adapt those technologies to work over a satellite. But yeah, I mean, we will definitely uh, partner with, uh, with the 3GPP and with, uh, with the telecom operators in order to extend that because it is needed because people are developing using those technologies. And we are uh, as well agnostic to that from our perspective, we are solving the coverage challenge. Thanks, Luke. So I, I want to um, thank you guys first off for a really great discussion, uh, some wonderful insights, and I hope that um, our audience uh, took something away from this today. Um, we're not done just yet. Uh, we have about 15 minutes now for Q&A, and we've already had some questions come in in the chat and in our Q&A box, but um, uh, feel free to, to, to send your own and uh, to share uh, to share your questions. If you can't find the Q&A, then the chat is fine. I'm just going to go over some of the uh, questions which we've already been receiving. Um, somebody here in the chat asked uh, about uh, a suggestion or some of your ideas maybe about how we can tackle the 5G chipset uh, shortage, excuse me. I don't think anyone here is a, is a chipset manufacturer. Uh, it is a very difficult one. We are now having longer time leads, but we are working with our customers. I don't, I don't have a solution. What we're trying to do now is just giving more time. Uh, so we are now doing uh, forecasted orders ourselves, taking some risk for our, on behalf of our customers so that we, you know, we try to work with, our, yeah, we try to work together to try to foresee what could happen. But, and it's not only 5G, unfortunately, it's affecting all of, uh, all of uh, the chips. So, but I don't know if anybody on the panel has more expertise on it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, next, we have a question from Amar. Did you want to add something to that? 
No, no. I, I mean, I, yeah, just yeah. They're just whenever something like this happens, not just in terms of this type of uh, hardware, in terms of the chip. It's it, whenever something shortage comes up, you just fucking go. Why aren't there more manufacturers doing this? Uh, it, it, it's something that's hard to determine what the value is because no one wants to be creating too much because if you have too much inventory you lose a lot of money if no one's going to buy it but yes that is something hopefully uh, you know from the from the overall industry there can be uh, better forecasting done so that we don't have shortages in the future it's absolutely Um, Amar, Amar is asking in the chat, is it reliable to use deep learning techniques to compress real-time data on IoT edge nodes? I mean, can IoT handle that? And does any company implement protocols like MQTT and COAP? It seems like a pretty technical question on the, uh, it's best answered by, you know, a solution developer or, or a hyperscaler, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll make a quick comment on the MQTT. So, you know, a majority of the trackers that we actually put on the network right now uh, for our asset management solutions actually use MQTT as the uh, last mile connectivity protocol. And uh, that's natively used with AWS. I, uh, I wouldn't be the right ones to answer the question on deep learning. I'm, I'm sure there's relevance there, but, uh, but that's, the, that's my call on uh, MQTT. It's, it's widely used within our, within our network. Yeah, from a data compression perspective, from uh, you know running things like AI on the edge, we have partners actually who, who are specialists in that. Uh, so there are various different techniques uh, that can help you know in terms of compressing the data, and then you know there are different techniques in terms of what kind of data gets processed where, and then instead of sending the whole data set back, let's say from the edge network back to the cloud, you can actually just pass on the insights. So there are various different models. Um, from uh, from a learning perspective, that are out there in the market, I'm not an expert in that, but there are uh, there are multiple ways to do it. That's all I can say. There was a comment in the chat. Uh, Kirk mentioned tiny ML, so yes, that's one of them. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Kirk. And Sam is asking. I'm interested to understand what the panel think are key IoT headwinds for their organizations. Um, for example, roaming regulation, high code requirements for IoT solutions, network rollout, and upgrade costs. I think roaming regulations is a valid one, to be honest with you. I think uh, the fact that we're seeing some very fractured regulation coming up in certain parts of the world around what's allowed in roaming, what's not. Uh, but I think longer term, where I foresee that going is, you know, that's going to evolve into an eSIM-like model where... Uh, you know, devices are going to localize to operators in each market, uh, and that will alleviate some of these uh, regulatory hurdles. Uh, but that's my perspective. I think, you know, you're right. It's a headwind today. Uh, it's a headwind in a direction where, uh, you know, the technology will take us somewhat away from from that in, in, in the direction of ESA. Uh, our next question uh, that we have here is from an anonymous attendee. They're asking, how do you think the average consumer will be affected IOT uh, in the upcoming years? Well, I would just say that, uh, you know, there's going to be more, uh, there's going to be better solutions offered by different companies uh, going forward, better things in terms of better energy management, uh, better logistics, better in, in, in better services being offered by, uh, by companies is one thing that the average consumer is going to, uh, going to see in, in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, just to add to what Joel mentioned, um, as I was talking in the beginning, uh, there are gonna be very uh, transformative use cases that are emerging because of the, the conversation that we have today. And the average consumer is gonna see it directly and indirectly. You're gonna see it in smart cities, you know, precision medicine and things like that. But in the background, you know, food supply through precision agriculture or, you know, uh, smart manufacturing that are manufacturing the goods that we consume are gonna be impacted. That is going to transform the way that we, you know, experience things around us today. Kirk is asking, what are the panelists' thoughts on balloon-based mobile networks? I mean, uh, yeah, balloons is not, uh, let's say, it's uh, between the, the terrestrial network and the satellite networks. Uh, I, I would not dare to say it's in the clouds, but almost. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, well, Google has been investing heavily for years on that uh, with uh, the Loon project, part of the, uh, let's say, of their other bets. Uh, uh, but they have recently stopped their efforts on this. So. Uh, from my perspective, and at least from a satellite operator perspective, we have also looked at that topic. Uh, but it is, let's say, it is not a, it is not something that we are considering. And let's say, following what uh, that Google stopped that, it doesn't look that promising from my perspective. The assets of uh, Google Loon have been acquired by a SoftBank, if I'm not uh, wrong. But well, let's see. Uh, technology keeps on evolving, so uh, there, there there might be some uh, some uh, some new stuff uh, appearing in the in the near future. But yeah, it's probably not uh, ready for prime time as of today. Another uh, question that we received, uh, which Luke has also privately responded to, I hope uh, you don't mind sharing again, but so there's some noise already um, beginning in the market in regards to NB-IoT over satellite. What is your take on that? And in terms of regulation, time to market and 3GPP specs? Yeah, we are, well, I mean, NB-IoT and uh, the, the cellular technologies of the telcos are are as as we all know, uh, let's say uh, regulated and uh, let's say standardized by the 3GPP, which is great. Uh, but it also uh, means that there is some standardizations effort to be made actually to have NB-IoT working over non-terrestrial network, and it is indeed demonstrated because it is on the on the agenda of the 3GPP for the future releases of uh, at 3GPP level. So yeah, it's uh, it's great. I mean, it's very promising, and the IoT is uh, is a technology that is uh, uh, let's say uh, growing and growing fast. Extending this technology is something that uh, we definitely want to do as a satellite operator, but yeah, you need to have various pieces of the puzzles that get together from a standardization perspective, from a technology, from spectrum, and even for market readiness. Uh, I'm, uh, let's say I could, uh, you know, uh, send back the ball uh, in the court of the, the telcos, whether they, they want to address this, they are ready to push and support that. Uh, and at the moment, most likely, well, they are already very well busy in uh, developing their IoT networks on the ground and actually, uh, let's say, uh, uh, drive the adoption of that technology to their, to their customers on the ground. Um, well, with that, I think uh, we've covered all our questions and uh, with six minutes to spare. So um, I would like to wrap things up by thanking everybody for, for joining us and thank you to our panelists for their vast insights. This was a really wonderful discussion, really great, I think, a vigorous introduction to the topic if there ever was one. Um, 
And uh, well, all of them require deeper discussion. I'm really grateful that we got the time to flesh them out today. Um, and um, I also wanted to thank our speakers, Luke Parad, uh, Shamik Basu, Ludovico Fassati, and Joel Dart. Uh, oh, I can't forget uh, Guarav as well. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. And um, I hope that uh, you're all staying safe and healthy at home. And I hope we get the chance to, um, to, have, uh, to host you and have more discussions like these in the future. Um, to get in touch with any of today's panelists, uh, feel free to reach out to them directly. All of our uh, attendees today will be receiving an email in the coming days with the contact information of each of our panelists. Uh, so don't be afraid to drop them a line if you have further questions on any of today's topics. And um, uh, to stay up to date with upcoming webinars, you can follow Hub Security on LinkedIn. And uh, if any of you plan to be at uh, MWC, the Mobile World Congress uh, this year in Barcelona, um, you can catch up with us at hall number five, booth number five, C87. Um, which hopefully will be included also in the email you'll get in a few days. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you there. So with that, uh, I want to thank everyone once more and um, I look forward to seeing you at our, uh, at our next discussion. Thank you very much. Bye, Thanks, thank you very much.